You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Knife here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1978 puppety classic magic. Yeah, the first time I heard about this show was on this Shudder series, a one-off, it seems, because I wanted this to be a series, but I've only ever seen one episode, so I don't know if there's more on the way, or maybe there's more by now, called Primal Screen. And it was about filmmakers talking about other films, and in this case, trailers, specifically, that fed their horror filmmaking career. And there's quite a few filmmakers and writers that talked about seeing the trailer for Magic on TV as a kid, and it's scarring them for life. Them being afraid of ventriloquist dummies, having a fear of dolls already in it, ramping up, and them translating this later into their own screenplays and writing. Very interesting. I saw this film without having ever heard of it before. It was on television. I believe it was on Turner Classics. And that would have been, I think I was actually living on my own by then. I had cable when I first moved out. And I remember watching it and being dialed into the fact that, oh, it's a very early Anthony Hopkins picture. And oh, look, there's Burgess Meredith in this. And I didn't catch it right from the beginning, but I got the the majority of it. And it was fucking fascinating to watch this very slow burning picture. And I remember later on, another one of my friends is quite a big Anthony Hopkins fan. And we were talking about the movie and I kept meaning to pick it up. It was in my Amazon box forever, forever, forever. And it's probably still in there. And I I never got around to it. It never it, it never just leapt forward enough where I thought to myself, I should buy this because I had seen it already. If I had never seen it, I would be very intrigued to want to buy it because oh, it's a horror movie and it's got Anthony Hopkins in it and it's very seems subtle and creepy and there's a doll and I love things that remind me of that horrible doll Bobby from my childhood that I've talked about 50 times and it never happened. It never manifested. But thankfully, thankfully, we got a request from our good friend Thomas, loyal, exuberant listener Thomas, and it seemed like a perfect opportunity to fucking put it on the table. Let's finally get to magic. Oh, totally. When I saw this on primal screen, I'd never seen this film and I was dazzled by a young Anthony Hopkins as well. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, what a neat trailer. Like, it definitely has a neat trailer. And just figured in my own mind, like, well, it probably is a really sleepy film and it probably wouldn't live up to the trailer. Uh, and it does. It definitely does live up to the trailer for me because that's all I really knew of it before. So I was excited by Thomas's request because I'd been so intrigued by this film mm-hmm. and that other people are too. That's uh, pretty cool. And it seems like a really Thomas request. I couldn't help but thinking, like, (laughs) has he ever been, like, heckled? Has he ever dealt with this braying, horrible woman laughing in the audience that just won't shut up? Or do people instantly become enraptured by the magic that is Thomas on stage when he's doing his comedian act? I've seen a comic before, 
And it was, you know, I, I laughed when I should have, even though I didn't find it funny. And I smiled a lot because I felt just terrible for this guy because he was sweating bullets, much like Anthony Hopkins is in one of the opening scenes here. And later on in the film, sweat like this is theatrical sweat, but I got to see it in real life, you know, comic sweat. That's like, wow. I can never picture Thomas sweating. He doesn't look like he sweats at all, even with all the hot sauce he eats. <laughs> well, I don't know if Thomas has had those experiences, but they say every great comedian has to bomb, has to have a set that they just get eviscerated on and no one laughs or people heckle. And after that, then it's never going to feel so bad mm -hmm. because you got it out of the way. Almost. Oh, it's very true. Like reading fiction. I mean, I've never really had a really bad reading, but even little stuff like having someone make a cappuccino halfway through your story and it's loud as loud as hell and you start kind of like your eyeball starts twitching and you're trying to talk over this. You can even have moments like that where you're mm. going to, you're going to snap, right? I wonder if he's ever had that I'm going to snap moment on stage. Well, hopefully he'll message us on Spotter Pictures or SoundCloud or something like that, Twitter, let us know. Yeah. Thomas, if you've ever been heckled and how did you deal with it? Yeah, right. Did you craft a personality out of wood and kill people? Highly doubt it. Highly doubt it. He doesn't seem like the murdering type. Nah, way too cool. Yeah, he way seems too cool. he seems too too happy of a guy. Happy of a guy or a guy that would deal with it. Not unlike some of the characters later on in this film that we'll talk about where I'm like, people should just just talk. It just talk it out. Before we get to the movie, I do have some things that I want to announce. And I know you have some things that you want to announce too. Yeah, we have no real postmortem, just fun stuff today. Just fun stuff. So if anyone has been following me on social media for the last couple of days, and I will definitely be talking about this more throughout the weeks, Splatter Pictures turned seven years old mm -hmm. just the other day. Bring in the clowns. <laughs> I was going to give you a party hat, but I thought... You might not wear it. And in fact, give me a very angry look. I might wear it on the front of my face and try and record the podcast with wearing it like a beak or a plague mask. That'll be good. And then the whole time, you'll just be giving me that look as though you did this, Wes. This is your fault. And if you don't like this episode, who cares? Like when you put a cat in a sweater. <laughs> and the cat pees in your bed and you just think to yourself, yeah, uh, all right. I deserve that. <laughs> uh, it always sneaks up on me when Spotted Pictures turns another year older. Uh, seven years is kind of funny to think about because it seems longer and shorter at the same time. I think when something becomes muscle memory and you just start doing it mm -hmm. week in and week out, you don't think about the years that are piling up on top of it. But I do remember seven years ago making – the blog and it was still a dot wordpress site at that and i didn't even really know what i was doing it and it all started because somebody had asked a question about found footage horror and i think they mistakenly what well, it started at blair witch right pretty much and that's not accurate i mean it's it certainly that film certainly was part of the explosion yes but but th there's f films that predate that and so i ended up talking about candle holocaust for a pretty big chunk. Uh, and I wrote it on a Facebook, like a Facebook letter. Almost, okay. yeah, and I just yeah. posted it and people seemed to like it. And so I was like, Oh, I'm going to do some more. And then I started talking about vampire movies. It was vampire movies before 1934. And I picked 
that or 31, whatever. No, before 1934. And I picked that arbitrary number just because the latest film that I wanted to talk about was like 1934. Oh, I or, thought you were going to say it was because of Dion Quint's. It was like pre-Dion Quintuplet's vampire horror. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I wish I was that clever. But and, and I wrote these little pieces and then I decided, what if I just put them all on a, my own blog site? And my friend had a blog site and it seemed easy to kind of cook up. And so me and my then girlfriend cooked up some stuff and uh, and she was really uh, in, in instrumental in that. And then next, you know, like everyone knows the story. Next thing you know, I'm writing and then that goes to more websites and then that turns into the podcast. I meet you and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, if there's anyone to thank, it's definitely you because I don't, I wouldn't have stuck with it this long, I think. Oh, what? You, you, you keep me on the straight and narrow, but. I keep you on the microphone. You keep me on the microphone because yeah. sometimes when I'm not feeling it, I, was like, I can't disappoint Lydia. Not again. Not every damn time. (laughs) (laughs) But I also used the seven-year opportunity. And like me, this was not planned. But I thought if we're going to go, we should fucking go now. For the seven-year anniversary, I decided to release the first vignette for Teresa. Now, Chris Bagarin and I had not decided to do vignettes of the characters before we released. So what these are are one-page stories. They're black and white. And they will feature one character, maybe two characters, but it's basically to just give you an idea about who these characters might be before the story actually starts. And so all of these vignettes are hours, minutes, or just a day before the main story starts. And the first one we decided to launch was one that features Teresa, which is the main character, obviously, and it also has... Uh, another woman who's doing uh, the narration, her name is Laura, and her role in all this will be explained much later. But it just seemed like the time to go. And and so I've gotten some really nice feedback on it, and people have been really uh, kind by liking it and commenting and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's really where I'm at. So there will be another vignette coming uh, next week for you guys to read and it'll be starring Lucas, which is our next lead character. Now, one thing to be very clear about this, and I did mention this in the blog post, all the vignettes are actually written and drawn by Chris. These are his the this is his sort of creative thing. And they they came about because we were drawing or he was drawing the main pages and he was having some trouble with certain character designs. And so he had stopped and then to sort of clear his head, he drew this thing. Yeah. And he sent it to me and I was like, hey, man, this is really cool. And he thought, yeah, I thought that maybe we could do something with this. I don't know what it is. And I said, well, how about this is a pretty good indication of where who our character is before. Oh, it paints a really good picture of Teresa. And that's like as far as what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm, yeah, I mm-hmm. really enjoy it being able to see that so yeah yeah so it'll give you an idea about who this uh this woman is and the first one that he actually sent me was one that was based around lucas which is a just a brilliant piece i love it so much and i can't wait to share it with all of you guys which will give you a really good indication about where that character is at in his life and then and then we'll go into the main series which will be you know what it is and i hope you guys really really dig it but that's all i really have to say seven years older congratulations (laughs) congratulations <laughs> thank you very very much i really like the what chris had sketched out for you a little picture of <laughs> noose with a little party hat on yeah yeah you guys can see that on the facebook uh, main page and uh if you go to spotterpictures.net 
right now you can see the vignette for Teresa as well. So you can just go there and check out all that stuff. We could check the, you could use that new photo as the new Dead Air logo if you want. You really like it that much. <laughs> I do. I do like it. That's another thing. I don't know if you guys noticed, but we have, uh, we had new flair added. Lydia, you had done some, some of your graphic design wizardry. Yeah, I remixed the logo that we use on SoundCloud that shows up on iTunes and populates on Stitcher and Podbean and wherever you listen to podcasts online because it just wasn't visible enough and I wanted to inject a little more color to it, even though I really like the muted us on black with our microphones. And, you know, I really did like what we had been using. It's just not visible enough Mm -hmm. when you're viewing it at a centimeter by a centimeter on your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, no, so no, yeah. yeah, I want it to stand out a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. When when you sent me the when you sent me what you had decided to cook up, uh, it was a lot of graphic design one hundred and one. You know, get the yellow, get the white. You got big big letters and and uh, and uh, it was great. There was uh, n- yeah, and it was basically Wes kind of like eh. so I splayed more blood on it, and he went yeah. <laughs> That's basically Which, how that happened. Basically. Basically, how you get me to agree to anything? Like, what about this, Wes? Splatter this, blood all this over it. Blood all over it, and I'm like, ah. yeah. it's like this speaks to me. I don't know uh, why. Uh, so I just really like it. And I had to like redden up the blood I felt, so I did that yeah. for your benefit. As yeah, well. I wanted that that bright '70s blood. You know, yeah. you know what I like. Yeah, exactly. So, um, who knows? It could it could change slightly here and there, depending. But I'd yeah. like to stick with the same one for quite some time. Uh, so I hope it wasn't too jarring on anyone. But I think that it's a little more shareable and fun, uh, fun visible thing for our show too. So I don't do enough of that. For the show. And if it was up to me and I had all the time in the world, the fucking logo would change on a weekly basis because I love (laughs) doing what I do, which is graphic design. I just don't do enough of it for us. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. But we also have Chris Bagarin in our corner making the amazing artwork that he made in the first place. So Mm -hmm. it is Mm -hmm. a remix. It is, it is a remix, and Chris has always been game. You know, he's a, a, a dear friend of mine that I've had for over a decade now. And he just always wants to help. Always, always wants to help, and never, never asks for a cent. Never complains if I say, "Hey, man, can you do this?" Like panels of blood, he whipped that up in a day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and just because I asked him to, "Hey, man, I want to do this," and it was, it was like that. He sent me something. I was like, uh, "What about this?" And then he goes back, sends it back, and then we're done, right? Like who, who does that? Chris Bagarin. Yeah, that. Chris Bagarin does that. That's it. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't got any really news because it's news forthcoming. I am working with a narrator, D. Michael Hope, and he is narrating Prelighty 1 and 2 for audiobooks. So, sooner than later on Audible and iTunes, you will be able to pick up Prelighty 1 and 2. Um, I know I've had requests for Night Face someday, maybe. Who knows? I'm working more on getting Night Face 2 all wrapped up, but I am over the moon with the audition um the initial audition the samples that i've gotten so far uh, his pronunciation is key his tone is key i love what i'm hearing so i hope everyone else does too once it hits and i'll have more news on that as it happens i'm also do it designing the covers and stuff so that'll be fun i'll maybe post a few of those eventually and tease that or just wait until we're done and we'll just drop it yeah i'm really really excited about this because as a person who works overnights I need 
to be listening to something. And if I can listen to anything, it's my dear friend Lydia's fucking words. <laughs> so that is really fucking exciting to me. Better believe I'm first day buying on Audible. So um, Well, thank you for your vote of confidence. And I, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident you'll enjoy it, too. If it was just up to me, it was just my writing, I'd be like, meh, you know, typical writer-artist, just like, well, here's my garbage. Careful you don't throw up on your shoes. But with this narrator, it's pretty fucking awesome, and I'm very excited to release this. It always makes it – I don't know if you feel this way, but it always makes it so much easier when you're collaborating with somebody because – it was my own writing, I, I know I know exactly how you feel. And, and and sometimes I criticize people on social media for doing this type of stuff because I, I was talking about this at work with somebody the other day where they're like, oh, I, you know, I made a thing. I did a thing. And it's so shameful. Like, there's so much shame in it. We're almost like you're there's this bag of dog shit that you're like sliding surreptitiously in <laughs> front of me trying to say like, well, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But if you're collaborating with somebody else, you can like put your dick in all the way and just be excited about it because I'll say, guys, Teresa's coming out. Chris Begarin's art is going to blow you away. These pages have fucking come to life, elevated my work. So I don't have to say anything about my dog shit writing. <laughs> so, like, no, that's partially yeah. it. That's partially it. And you know that if, you've, <clears throat> if you're working, uh, collaborating with somebody honestly and properly, you are going to get feedback and you're mm-hmm. going to be giving feedback. So you've yeah. got that instant editing yeah. going on yeah. amongst you anyway. Yeah. So, but you're a very, very, very talented writer. So. You know, but I know how it comes as being the person who actually made the thing and you just... That's no, I what, have a very, very talented narrator. Oh, there you go. So, there you yeah. go. Because that's what you can say. Be like, I'm excited about this because my narrator is so good. Yeah. No, really. And also, you know, my writing is, you know, it's, it's all right. That's how it's going to happen. Just you wait. <laughs> but that's okay. The rest of us will sing your, uh, the praises of your writing while you sheepishly stand on the back. Sounds good to me. <laughs> I'm down with that. But I'll also be excited about the covers because we're already both excited about the covers. Mm. So, yeah, some a little bit of artwork, a little bit of, a bit of, bit of flash. Are we going to see more Are we going to see more purple spiders though? Yes. Yes, there is going to be a purple spider involved. Okay. And I'm slowly designing some Paralyzing 3 ideas too. So like that that's a year or two down the road because there's other life stuff busy stuff i mean busy that's what like we haven't sat down and recorded in like a month i feel i forgot i was forgetting what you look like my object permanence was dissolving (laughs) and here i've changed my hairstyle oh my gosh i should have kept it the same just to make you feel better (laughs) oh my god i know we're gonna be releasing this on a friday the 13th uh hopefully i think yeah i I think so i'm assuming this is coming out on friday the 13th and just a little pluggity plug pluggity plug for the Hinton Burger, not that it like works for most of our listeners, but if you're in the Ottawa area, the Hinton Burger does free french fries on Friday the 13th for I don't know what fucking reason. F. I, F, free french fries Friday. That's so satanic right there. But um, yeah, and I, we're big fans of the Hinton Burger yeah. for sure. And like not knowing much, if you like from the outsider perspective, just like, yeah, Friday the 13th, free french fries, whatever. It must be a coincidence. Oh, no. As Wes would say, au contraire, mon frère. <laughs> mon frère, from another papa, is Tom, the owner of the Hinterberger, the founder of the Hinterberger. Him and his brother have scored tickets to go to the original camp in New Jersey, mm. where Friday the 13th, the first one, was filmed. And they're that big of fans. 
hence free french fries. I love that. I love the idea about somebody being so much of a fan of something that they got it. I could just picture them right now, just sitting there, just like, we got to do something, but they don't know what to do because it's not like they're a, a movie theater. If, you, if you're like the Mayfair, you show Friday the 13th. That's how you celebrate it. Yeah. If you're someone like me, we talk about Friday the 13th or we put it on our social media where we do blah, blah, blah. Um, but if you're, if you're in the restaurant business, what do you do? Burgers like hockey masks. But the easiest thing to do is just to fries. Why not? Because it's what I have. It's what I, <laughs> it's what I have. It's what I have. Me and Chris were talking about the burgers like hockey masks, actually. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Well, Maybe the- he's done that because he is that big of a fan. There's always mm-hmm. been – that's why the Haunted Burger exists because the owners of the Haunted Burger have always been big Halloween fans. Mm-hmm. And that's why there's Halloween shenanigans. Going and, down there. And, and I just want to say, for the record, I am jealous that they are going to the campsite. Me, I've been to New Jersey many, many times. And because I used to date someone who was from there. And I really wanted to go to the campsite. It's at the tippy top of New Jersey. Now, she didn't really live. I mean, didn't live. New Jersey's not a big fucking state. But she didn't like to drive places she'd never been which was a weird thing to to hang up to have. And then, so it fell to, well, your dad or your dad could drive us, but he didn't want to. And and I felt really, I felt like, man, I shouldn't push it, I guess, because I was still kind of not sure about, what does this guy think of me? Like, I've just kind of come out of nowhere and dating his daughter. Maybe he doesn't like me. He was kind of like a rough and tough, uh, very New Jersey guy. Okay. Always talking about funnel cake and shit. He wasn't really. And you're going to force him to drive you to a camp where you'll probably be turned away because they didn't take kindly to people just showing up and wanting to go to camp. I didn't know that there is a lottery to get tickets to go on the one one. I think they only do it one day a year. They pick like the first Friday the 13th in the in spring or something. Like Mm. I don't know how what day they pick exactly, but it's uh, a tour on the Friday 13th, and there's a like a cap of like 200 people or something. A lot of uh, the sets from the first Friday the 13th, even the second Friday the 13th, are gone. The sets, the locations are gone. Uh, Everything from certain areas of the towns that were shot in. There there was a – after in Friday the 13th Part 2 where everyone – the campers all go to that big lodge and that's just over the water. Apparently, that thing burned down like a week or so after they were fucking done shooting. So rubble and ash, the diner from the first Friday the 13th movie is still standing. Um, that is where, that's what I thought I would probably be able to see. Yeah. 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 Because the camp is private property, but the diner is not. No, exactly. So, so I thought, well, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, they're going to get a milkshake and a death curse. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, so I'm super jealous. But anyway, that's a fun thing. Yeah, Free so yeah, Hinterberger. Yeah, and you know, fun fact: we go there once in a while. We really do. It's a it's a production do. meeting. It is a production. We have had production <clears throat> meetings there. Our last production meeting was there, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm a huge fan. It's a shame that we won't be there on Friday the 13th for it's, Free French Fries. It's true. Fries. Yeah. I'm not a big French fry fan myself, but Hindenburg makes it easy though because they got that ketchup, and it's it's all very good. Mm-hmm. So like it's easy to eat garbage food there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's close. The only the only thing you have to traverse to get there is the Christmas store. 
the dreaded Christmas story. Oh, it's like the bridge from Sleepy Hollow. Like, Lydia's power ends <laughs> when we get into proximity. I try to stay on the other side of the road and then only so- safely cross afterward. Although it is beside Tinseltown, which is the most goth fucking decor store I've ever seen in my life. Or no, no, it is Tinseltown. Uh, Marie Antoinette is the name of the place beside it. But yeah, Tinseltown, Ottawa, beware. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, so yeah. Do you believe in magic, Wes? I do, and I hope you do. That song's been running through my head all day. What about the jazzy cover that they did for those McDonald's commercials? You always have a friend wearing big red shoes. That's mostly the one that's running through my head, probably. <laughs> not, not a wonder I can't remember the lyrics. Yeah, I know, because you th- you're thinking about the McDonald's Land version of that song. <laughs> More than likely. Um, I do believe in magic, and I do believe... That what we had here was an interesting opportunity to get into some quiet, quiet horror that revs up towards the end, undoubtedly, very much like Pin, but I would say even quieter than Pin. It's quieter than Pin for the most part, although there is some discernible terror in the tension that's created by Anthony Hopkins himself alone. And... A very like a, a very subtle tension that's created in waiting for the puppet to move because I even wrote down in my notes I'm waiting for the puppet to move like I'm waiting for the puppet to move by itself for the whole thing and I don't know if that's an illness created by modern day puppet and doll horror or if I just personally want this puppet to move if I really don't want Anthony Hopkins character Corky to be this unhinged or if it's his being so unhinged that he wants us to believe so badly that this puppet is its own thing is doing these things itself that is actually infecting me as a viewer it's just such a mind fuck it really is for a 1978 movie about a ventriloquist it's Mm. a mind fuck so yeah it's a little bit slower burn than pin but i felt more on the edge of my seat quote unquote Mm. than i did through pin at all Yes, yes, absolutely. I think it really helps that Fats is a very bizarre looking dummy. He looks a bit like he's been carved in the vague likeness of a of a young Anthony Hopkins. I thought you were going to say Bedcourt. No. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's all the, through the whole thing. I just kept thinking, you know, I would like this redone, but you stick Anthony Hopkins as he is and Bedcourt. As the ventriloquist, dummy. <laughs> yeah, he looks like Bud Court. So, uh, but you know, like you said, a vaguely, a vaguely younger Anthony Hopkins, sort mm. of. If Anthony Hopkins can get any younger than forty, I know. I don't think, think it's entirely possible. Anthony Hopkins is an actor that is so renowned, so distinguished, and this cast in itself, you know, and Margaret and Burgess Meredith. You have a lot of heavy hitters in terms of very famous or very uh, accomplished. Actors that are in this film for horror fans, Anthony Hopkins' roles. Uh, I mean, it's it's Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Uh, he's done other horror, the the rite or the ritual or or whichever, where he's chewing the fuck out of the scenery as this just fucking crazy priest. But other than that, it, you know, he he's t- he tends to do genre stuff, but then also do a lot of classy pictures. But seeing him this young was very bizarre for me the first time I saw this movie and even now looking at it it's 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 almost as if my brain is trying to age him 
and that he looks like an old man, but yet he's got this brown hair and he doesn't really have any wrinkles on his face. And yeah, and your brain is like, oh, they did really good with the makeup. <laughs> like, yeah, no. or or in and what is so big these days, those the anti aging digital effects where they take photos and screen captures from all these old movies and make these actors in modern films in flashback sequences look as young as they did back then. And you can't tell at all that it's not really them. Modern films, again, infecting you and ruining this movie. Ruining this movie. But this (laughs) this film, uh, once you get over all that, once you get over the the novelty of, oh, wow, look how young Anthony Hopkins is. And, oh, wow, look, Burgess Meredith. And, oh, look, there's Anne Margaret. Is she going to sing Bye Bye Birdie? What you have is is a very interesting story about – charm and confidence and performance and that X factor because we're introduced to Corky as a very competent magician. He knows the ABCs of magic. He knows how to accomplish tricks and he has practiced and practiced and practiced all of these things, but the audience can't be bothered to care, Mm -hmm. not because he's not talented, but because he is missing something. We know this because he's going to have a, a a very well done scene where you show Anthony Hopkins trying to tell his mentor who's ill. Merlin is his name. Yeah, Merlin yeah. Jr. Uh, and he's uh, ill on the couch and he's trying to tell him it was perfect and I did everything right. And he's trying to tell this story about how he just wowed the audience. Wowed, wowed the audience and that. everyone was laughing. But really what we see is every time he tells a story, there's a flashback to – What's actually going on? This braying beast of a woman in the audience laughing. And I I know this is like a personal... You guys think chewing is something that makes Lydia's skin crawl? The sound of laughter... Loud female laughter in particular. That's that is the worst one. Any laughter really kind of sets me ill at ease. I'm not sure why. It just always has. But yeah, especially when it's disruptive to everybody else around and this loon just can't stop yodeling, then yeah, I really, (laughs) I'll leave a premise. I'll like, I've asked people to just cool it a little bit. Like I see you're enjoying yourself, but please, like it's painful. Yeah. It's painful. I remember one time we were at a restaurant together and I can't remember where it was, but I don't, we'd never been there before. And there was people in a party room and there was... One woman who you kept being able to hear her laugh. And I think that might have been the first time where I heard you say, stab in the temple. Mm-hmm. That might have been right. Fucking stab me in the temple or slit her fucking throat. Like, I was just like, oh my God. Uh, yeah, that was uh, the first and last time we went to the poor boy. Uh, it was the last time oh, I ever went to the poor is, boy. Is that what that place was called? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, I refused to go there since. There might be laughter. Oh, they allow that to go on in the premise and, like, disrupt the entire room. I'd rather yeah. a screaming baby over that. Yeah. Because yeah. at least a screaming baby doesn't know any better. And you can usually ask them to leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't want to have an argument with that braying donkey. But, yeah, there's a, one of those sorts of women in this crowd. And that was, like, so aggravating for me to watch. <laughs> but yeah. it was good because it really it really – Got you there to when Corky has this meltdown. 
about just pouring sweat because he's bombing and and you people don't know what you're doing. You don't realize this is a thousand. A thousand hours of my time. And that was when Merlin pressures him and he's like, don't bullshit me, kid. Like, because he's bombed before. It was his first real act alone, you know, and it was his first like act of an amateur night. And his mentor knows better. So then we get a little, a little snap. It's not quite, it's not quite a Nick Cage moment. (laughs) <laughs> but you feel it coming, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, well, those people didn't know what they were looking at. That was a thousand hours of my life they were laughing at. And he has a little bit of a, of a breakdown, but he tells his mentor that, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. I did everything right, though. Yeah. And and his mentor says, you need charm. You need to be able to, you you need to have that charisma. That And, and Corky doesn't know how. Like, you got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. One year later... Smash cut to a year later. They don't announce that it's a year later. It takes me even a few minutes to be like, I guess mm-hmm. this is a year later. Mm-hmm. Because moments, like, uh, the next scene is a poster of him um, outside of the marquee mm-hmm. during his 26-week straight run at this comedy place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lines out the door. Which is weird because, I mean, the show's already started. So what are the lines <laughs> what are the lines out the door for? So while what you're thinking here... What's weird to me, not only the lines out the door and that the people are waiting, it's standing room only and everyone is packed and there's a second set, I suppose. That's what I'm guessing. Uh, Two shows nightly kind of thing. Um, It's He's been 26 weeks straight. Merlin, his mentor, looked like he was on his deathbed at the end of the scene. He's been doing this for a year now. So how long did it take him to go from zero to hero? Probably about as long as it took him to create the character of Fats. 26 weeks. 26 weeks. So he now has with him, and we don't know this at first, because we're introduced to Burgess Meredith's character, Ben Green. Gang Green. Gang Green. That's what Fats calls him, because Fats is mean like that. Yeah, Fats is mean like that. This guy is the postman, because he always delivers. He's he's Corky's agent, and he is meeting with uh, some executive from NBC to see Corky's show. Now, when we first see Corky back on stage, there's this group, and there's this group of people around him, and he seems to be doing the exact same act. The rising same- Aces. Um, I've attempted Rising Aces when I was a kid. Um, I can do not all of the card shuffling fun that he does in this. I can't cut a deck. Uh, with one hand. I can't mm. shuffle with one hand because my hands are too small and cards are too big. Oh. I figured this out when I was young. <laughs> um, but my grandmother taught me quite a bit of like card shuffling and fun. Cool. Yeah. I'm not very good at shuffling cards. In fact, there is a card shuffling scene later on in this film by a very scared woman. And that is at my best how I shuffle cards. Got it. Just Got it. fucking like a chimpanzee with tambourines just smashing them together. <laughs> He's doing Rising Aces again. So we're kind of like, what's the draw? What pact with the devil does this guy have? And all of a sudden, someone's heckling him from the back, saying how he's going to do the trick. The NBC executive's like, oh, some drunk. He's got to watch his hands. He's distracting you. Yeah. Yeah. And then he tries. He, uh, he has this formulated argument and then brings the dummy up on stage. And then that's how it is. And people love the stuff that Fat's so saying because they're doing that thing in which the dummy insults the guy and it's it's crass and he refers to someone in the audience as the girl with the tits and he's like you mean the the female with the feathered top yes yes i see her you know yeah. and they're they're playing that uh, skinny and fat 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know much about comedy and stuff. You're, this is way more your. It is. It is. It, it's class. Thing. It's a classic vaudeville routine, and yeah. and oftentimes, a ventriloquist will represent their puppets as this id of their personality that says the things that they can't get away with. I want to see the ventriloquist that has a straight man as the dummy and a fucking schlep as the ventriloquist, so I can continue with my distaste for humans and my greater love for inanimate objects that would be a stick i would follow well you never know if uh, any uh budding ventriloquists out there first of all shame on you <laughs> second of all there's an idea yeah right yeah right <laughs> it seems to be going well for corky success is on his door mr green says you'll know you'll be fine you'll know you've made it You'll know you're on your way when I get you a free dinner, a free lunch at New York City. and At the Four Seasons. Yeah, and sure enough, that day does come. Now, yeah, the next scene, basically, <clears throat> the Four Seasons, and Corky's all like, so what's the deal? Why did you ask me here? What's going on? Yeah, I know. And for us, it might seem pretty preposterous that you would ask that. What are you talking about? He literally told you this five seconds ago. But Burgess Meredith does explain that, you know, five, six months, kid. I like that he's still, I mean, to Burgess Meredith, you can still call Anthony Hopkins a 40 year old man kid. Yeah. But, but I mean, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I understand that he's much younger in this film than we're uh, used to seeing him. And maybe he's supposed to be playing even younger. Like if he graduated high school 15 years before, fi- 15 years before. So he's like 35. Not much of a difference, but he no. even, he does make jokes even in this about, uh, gangrene how to survive in show business outlive everybody else (laughs) yeah funny jokes like that about his age so yeah yeah he can get away with calling him kid yeah he can get away with calling him kid Burgess Meredith can get away uh with with anything I've I love him in all of his Twilight Zone episodes I mean you you've seen this guy play the devil you've seen this guy play the bookish loner that breaks his glasses there's all kinds of of just fantastic roles that this guy has done. And of course, for uh, a comic books fan like me, uh, he was the Penguin in uh, Batman live action TV show. So this guy, just seeing him act and 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 really not doing shtick, like he's not doing Mick. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not talking through uh, the side of his mouth, just like growly old boxer voice. He's really playing a, a very subtle role in this where he's got that showbiz glint into in his eye uh, he's very successful but he's but he still is coming across as a normal person no it's, he does it so well that you could later on be like well he doesn't play a cigar chomping exact but wait a second he does he does <laughs> yeah. play a cigar chomping exact <laughs> yeah um and 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 so fucking classy so fucking classy, very classy. I, I love him in this in this movie um but here's the problem here's here's the thing it's done. It's a done deal, but not done. Done deal. This success. This this TV special. What do you mean? It's done. All it's got to do is like a couple things. You got to sign some fucking contracts. Yeah, you got to yeah, like go standard. get a medical. You know, standard. Well, well, well wait. wait oh. Well, it's just a medical. Well, yes, and 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 of course, in in a normal business world, you obviously before you sign a contract it, where you're dealing with half a million dollars, you don't want to sign something off of a dude whose heart's going to give out in two seconds or who is has some other unforeseen medical issues and all of a sudden you've paid all this money and the person can't perform 
Because it's a pilot. Yeah. It's a pilot on nighttime NBC. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. an even covetous thing at this day and age. Yep, yep. Our traditional outlets are still the most expensive. And he doesn't want to do it. Corky wants to get the postman to trust him. Now, they don't have a, an official contract between each other. We learn this in this scene is that it's a gentleman's agreement. You want to be my agent? We can do it, but I'm not signing anything. And but you're my agent, and you just need to trust me. And I want that now. Again, I it's want the principle. It's a it's a handshake. It should we should be as good as our word, and yeah. they are. Um, I guess up until this point, the only thing that Green had to say was just don't turn shitty when fame hits you. Mm-hmm. Fame is hitting him. He's not that he's turning shitty, but Green is convinced that he's just scared of success. Mm-hmm. He doesn't really believe that the medical is scaring him, that he doesn't want to have a medical on principle, that Corky's just against the medical just because he should be as good as his word, much like they've been all this time with their own lack of a contract, which sort of washes. It sort of washes. Eventually, Corky does admit that maybe he's afraid, but I think he's just saying that because it sounds good. He refuses to get a medical. He does. And while he's in New York living a pretty successful life on the verge of even more success, he has a argument. And this is the first time that we really see a glimmer of a pretty significant temper that Corky has screaming at his agent over the phone. Make it happen. Make them understand. Mm-hmm. Losing his fucking shit. But there's really not much to be said. Burgess Meredith is trying to say, listen, These people are signing a contract, half a million dollars, and you expect them to just, we're not, this isn't Little League anymore. Yeah, it's, it's, there's nothing we can do either. It is a legal thing. They need a medical done or there's no contract. You, you brought up a good point though. Oh, did I? You brought up a good point when we were watching the movie. Which one? Why can't they? (laughs) Waka waka. Why can't they just find a doctor on the take? Yeah. Exactly. You don't, all you need to do is get some doctor. And are you telling me you can't find a crooked doctor? Are you telling me that, that Ben Green, super agent with his giant cigars that he keeps in glass cylinders, can't find a fucking Dr. Nick Riviera type character anywhere to just sign away? Yep. Perfect. The picture of perfect health. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Would, uh, do you think that a medical examination, because when you say you're going to need to get a medical evaluation, to me, that is a physical medical evaluation. Do you think that there would be a possibility of a psychological evaluation on top of that? Uh, No. And if there was, which there very well could be in show business, especially with NBC and wanting them to have somebody on a pilot, maybe they'd had complaints beforehand, but we're dealing with something that isn't a contemporary time where that might be um, – something within like a contractual thing where you need to be proven to not need anger management or something like Like that. Like be like a drug addicted or or alcoholic or something like that. But I can't see it being any more stringent than a panel. Uh, We were talking about medicals the other day, Chris and I, and I can't see it being any more stringent than a a doctor, like a veterinarian on the auction floor being like it has four feet, is not leaking any pus. It can see out of its eyes. (laughs) Off you go, horse. 
Yeah. Oh, that was a horse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't see it being any more stringent than that. So I don't know what his fear is. But at this point, we don't know much about Corky. So I'm like, does he have a little speaker in his chest? Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'd think, is it something like that? Does he got, like, a fucking... Does he have a hole in his back? Yeah, a prehensile tail or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Like, what is it they so worried about? Yeah, what what could it possibly be? We don't know, but it's enough to make Corky run. He gets out of Dodge, or New York more accurately. And into a yellow cab. Yeah, yeah. It takes an $80 cab ride, which in 1978 dollars is probably like 4000 bucks. Probably. <laughs> and, and goes all the way to this sleepy lake. It's old farmhouse. Somewhere in the Catskill Mountains, which is where he came from originally. And... You know, he's even been built up until this point as, like, a mountain boy came from the dirt and made his own way in New York by himself, has no family. Just a quiet guy, real polite, real mm-hmm. sweet, you know. And this is where he's come from. So he returns to the Catskill Mountains and sort of drives by on this $80 round-trip tour of the Catskill Mountain foothills of the house he grew up in mm-hmm. and the graveyard where his family's buried and just quite sweet little memories and goes to see an old bed and breakfast where this girl he used to have a little crush on in high school Mm. her parents owned it so his whole plan was just to go up there and see you know the last other thing up there of his memories childhood memories and maybe see her parents and ask how she's doing you know that's it that's all he planned on doing Mm -hmm. he ends up staying because well the lady that he's had a thing for and Margaret, obviously the actor that's playing this character, um, Peggy, she uh, looks dynamite, and she's going to be staying there. Now, they're closed, but for $50 a night, this guy's just throwing money around. He gives yeah. the cab driver 100 bones for the ride that costs $8, and then- And $100 to shut his mouth and not tell anyone he came up there. Mm-hmm. And then now he's given Peggy $50 a night to, to stay at this place. Just throwing money around. But it seems to be important to him. And now he's officially in hiding. And now this is where we get to have quieter moments. And and it really is, everything else is set up. And it really comes down to these two people getting reacquainted after 15 years. He's planned to go to dinner. She's invited him to dinner. That's sweet. It's nice. You know, and they do, They once they establish that they remember one another. And they definitely have eyes for one another. Um, his ventriloquist dummy has something to say about this. He doesn't seem too pleased about them having dinner together because he'll be lonely and he's left behind. And it's kind of adorable in a way because you see Corky having conversations with himself through the dummy. Like, I guess some people would getting ready for a little date they're nervous about with a girl they really like. And they're having this sort of like, She'll think you're stupid. No, she won't. It'll be fine. I'm going to be here all alone. Yes, you will be. (laughs) You know, that sort of conversation. And it doesn't really set you ill at ease because it's not an argument Mm -hmm. yet. Yet, yeah. We've seen conversations like this before in lots of horror where somebody is having some kind of psychological episode that can seem kind of harmless at first. And there have been even films that have have dealt with... um, that are not horror that have dealt with this type of psychosis. Like Mel Gibson did like a movie where he had like a puppet beaver or something like that. Uh, I've never seen it, but it, it really is trying to setting you up to what this film will eventually turn into. Because right now, if you hadn't seen that, 
scary trailer. It, you wouldn't really know what kind of movie you're really watching. No, because it's not a Travis Bickle moment by any means. He has this little tiny, very short conversation mm-hmm. with his dummy about this date he's going to have with this girl. Mm-hmm. And it seems quirky. He's had many conversations with his dummy in front of other people mm-hmm. at this point. This is really the first one that we've seen him have alone. Mm-hmm. And it's not foreboding like Psycho. No. So we, we don't know. I mean, while in Psycho, you're not even really sure if Bates's mother is like, – you don't know that Bates's mother is dead. No, you but, just hear her voice. Yeah, but it, but it's the same kind of thing, right? Um, Because like, you think about it like – Bates would be a good ventriloquist. <laughs> yeah, he really would. <laughs> Have like an old puppet mom. <laughs> or just mom herself. Just yeah. mom herself. Bring the, the body out. Yeah, you think body. I'm fruity, don't you? <laughs> I would love, I would watch that. See, scratch this whole straight man, or straight man as the dummy, you mm-hmm. know, scratch that whole plan. I want to see Norman Bates and his mom. Norman Bates, the real psycho too, is him getting out of prison and going on vaudeville with it's fucking <laughs> with fucking mom's, mom's mummy body. Uh, that'd be awesome. I would watch that. Oh, oh my god, that'd be fucking hilarious. But well, here's the thing though: Peggy's married, but she's dropping some. I was Adam- gonna say, so what? They're just two adults having a dinner, but no, yeah, they're definitely into one another, and it's a little bit sad. Yeah, because um, she's dropping some atom bombs of hints, and she's like a like I don't know if there's like a fetish. We're into people doing ventriloquism for you. <laughs> but it seems to work on her. She loves it. And it's not that I don't think that Fatso is pretty funny. But it's just, it's more to the fact that I can't imagine being charmed by someone taking out a doll and doing funny voices with it. She's been following him on TV all this time. So any bit that he's had on TV, mm. she's had a huge heart on for this guy since yeah. high school and has watched him on TV. So now she was so impressed to be able to see the dummy. Now she's so impressed to have him there in his turtleneck sweater. Turtleneck sweater. Yeah, I know. This is probably how Jeff Dunham gets laid. He probably just like walks in the room and is like, hey, I'm Jeff Dunham. And no one gives a shit. And then he takes out that stupid racist skeleton. And then he just goes like, I kill you. And then he's getting blown. Probably. That's probably exactly how it happens. That's probably why he kept doing that. <laughs> but no, um, she has the sort of glee attached to these parlor tricks even that you see in maybe four-year-olds or dogs. My dad used to do dog magic, where he'd hide a treat in one hand and then the other hand across it, and the dog would just be like, oh, God, I don't know what hand to pick. And the dog would eventually pick a hand if there's no treat in there. The dog would just be, like, mind-blown. She is captivated by sleight of hand like she's 10 years old. Yeah. It is fucking crazy to me. They're just having a, a, a chat and then he's just got her eating out of the palm of his sleight of hand. Good one. Thank She's you. also like a buggy kid. Like, and I probably fell into this too. And one of my uncles knew a lot of like making the coin disappear tricks and stuff. And I was like, do it again, do it again, do it again. You know, yeah. or every time I'd see him, I'd be like, make a coin disappear, do a magic trick, pull a coin out of my hair, do it, do it yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> You're a very demanding kid. You're just like, do magic or I don't love you. <laughs> Pretty much. And that's what this girl's pulling. It, it is what she's pulling. It's fucking mind-bending to me. But you know what? That is like 
somebody being really interested in me spouting a horror fact. Let me tell you something. If like I would just be sitting here like I can't believe this works and then I'm just I just say a horror fact and like a girl's super into me, I would just keep doing it too. Especially if it's like a foxy redhead thing. Oh, yeah. Tell me another thing, Wes. Oh, tell me yeah. another thing. Yeah. Oh See? yeah. Tell That'd me be- about poverty row. I'm like, oh I will. <laughs> now it doesn't seem to matter so much that she's married, but there's a lot of flirtation going. There's tension. It may be, will they, won't they? What's going on? But I can tell you his clincher, how he seals the deal, lids. He's got a trick. So elusive. So magical. That it can only be accomplished by two people. With a true connection. Yeah, his mentor and his wife used to do this because they got to a point where they really wanted to test the boundaries of their love for one another and magic itself. They didn't want to do any more sleight of hand. They didn't want to do any more distraction, no more deception. They were going to become psychically linked. Then they had this card trick where they would each have a deck of cards, swap the deck of cards. She would pick a card, concentrate on that card, slip it back into the deck, and then they'd swap decks again. So she would take his deck and pull her card out of that deck and concentrate on it. Clutching it to her bosom. Clutching it over her heart Mm. and concentrating. And all Merlin would do is flip through the deck of cards that had belonged to his wife and choose the cards she was clutching to her heart from that deck just through totally psychic means Mm -hmm. because they had a connection right so now they're going to do this trick right and the first time they do it it doesn't quite work out she gets a kick out of it she's all like "Eh, it's fun i don't know yeah it wasn't right what it's close they're both red cards holy fuck yeah corky pops his cork yeah, he loses he his shit. Fucking. Because it flips shit. Is that what the He kids flips say? his shit. Like, he fucking goes crazy. He screams at her, screams at her as the top of his lungs. And she is terrified. Because this person who she's been having a nice few days with and gentle walks and all of a sudden is screeching at her. And I'm wondering, is this. What she expects out of the men in her life is, well, no, when we meet her husband later, yes, obviously. But is this just, is this, oh, he's an artist. He's he's just so. I don't know if that's really it. I think she's just terrified into listening, much like the people on the shows that Gordon Ramsay is on. Yeah. Where you're just partially allowing a lot because of their celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a lot of the people on there have a secret crush on Gordon Ramsay too. But you're you're start you're startled because this person is yelling at you because people yeah. don't yell at one another. Mm-hmm. That's not what people do. And so you're you're deer in headlights a little bit. And yeah. he's also barking orders at her that have an immediate action need immediate action like shuffle the goddamn cards pick out a goddamn card and like yeah cut the deck and she's like just like shuffling like i said the way i do just like smacking your hands together cards going all over the place and he's trying to to get her to concentrate on the card it won't fail it won't fail not this time and she's like i'm scared and well you can tell how this story is going success three clubs yeah both it's accounts. a fucking amazing scene, actually. It's, it's it's 
It's terrifying. You feel terrified for her. You're afraid he's going to just fucking snap her neck any minute. Yeah. Like it's very, done very well. And it's owe it all to Anthony Hopkins. This is the Anthony Hopkins we held out for all through Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That explosive viciousness. It's what I wait for in every Nicolas Cage movie. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. taking these, the, they're, they push, both Anthony Hopkins and Nick Cage will go to a level that other actors seem to be scared to. Like when they're mad, they are more angry than I've ever seen anyone in a film. They're more hyperactive. Their, their body language looks more manic and out of control. And it works good because they look so docile mm-hmm. when they're off, they're off. Flatline. Oh, yeah. Calm, happy, Hindu cows. Uh, I see that they had wanted to cast Jack Nicholson, and that's the problem with our darling pal Jack Nicholson, is that the same argument that they had with The Shine that Stephen King pointed out, he looks like he's about to fucking snap when he's at baseline. Yeah, yeah. That sly malevolence works for a lot of Jack Nicholson's role, but... It wouldn't have worked here because it's... What's jarring is we have our... Sweet pal. Yeah. Anthony Hopkins. Looks like he wouldn't hurt a fly. Yeah. Yeah. Another psycho reference. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help Poof. It. He's fucking screaming at this woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I really, really dislike this. You know, if you if I were one of those um, academics, much like if I were, if I had half the brains of the girls on Faculty of Horror or even a quarter of Amy Vosper's brain, yeah, I'd have a lot to say about the feminist culture in this film Mm -hmm. and what is desperately deeply wrong with peggy but yeah because when he gets it he comes down almost like orgasmic yeah yeah where he's He's spent he's spent he's slumped in the chair and 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 she is just just immediately from frightened to like Oh, this sweet, this sweet. We must have a connection. He does love me. She gets down on her knees and is like an inch away from oiling his feet. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Just like holding his hand, looking up to him adoringly, the light cast on her face just so. This and then person was just screaming at you. Screaming, and you were terrified of this person. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, I love this person and we have this true connection. And when we meet her husband later, you're right. It does really describe the victim circle that she's been in. Mm -hmm. But yeah, at this point, I already dislike their relationship. Me too. And and it's not just because she's married because I don't care about that. It it is just because of the fact that um, he is like crazy. Like he like like, and seems very violent. Like, Like he's only been there a couple of days. This will only get worse. Yeah. But. Maybe it's part of the show. Doesn't matter. Or maybe it'll get better. Maybe it'll get better. Maybe I can change it. Maybe all he needs is to be the person that he was always meant to be. Maybe he only needs a soft focus lens. <laughs> and some sweet violin music. So we get to see a slow, lengthy scene. Tortuous. You mean tortuous. Of Anthony Hopkins making sweet, sweet love. Guest directed by Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> now we keep cutting back to Fats. With harmonicas playing. Now, this is the first time you've brought up the harmonicas to me while we were watching the film. Yeah. This what? is when I first noticed them. If they had been playing earlier, I hadn't noticed at all. But at this point, I was like, what the living fuck? Because you love the harmonicas, right? Oh, but- yeah, I do. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, well, they couldn't afford a cello. Think of any horror movie. Any horror movie. Specifically a giallo. Think of anything where there is 
cutting from like people making love or doing anything really innocent or distracted you know maybe they're playing darts in a bar and there's like jukebox music going on but then you cut to the person who is glowering at them from across the room or hiding behind the bushes and that's where you get like your your almost jaws viola hits or your uh creaky cellos or something like that you get your ominous horrible scary tension building harmonicas <laughs> what it's like they couldn't afford any of those other instruments not even french horn they couldn't afford even a fucking lonely sad trumpet which actually a little sad trombone might have worked a little better here well, what's that thing with the 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 triangle not the triangle the thing that they use in horror all the time that's like a oh, water phone water they phone. do use water phone in this mm-hmm. they do use these other they have a room full of instruments to play with here but they chose a harmonica a harmonica never before have I heard a harmonica used in place of a creepy cello? It's very weird. It's very weird. I couldn't stop laughing. I know you couldn't. And every time that the harmonicas came back, which is often, you had something to say about it or you just sort of scoffed. It's, and I was like, oh, no, does Lydia not like this? It does cut the tension a little too much. It does. It really, really, it, it destroys it. Tension? What tension? <laughs> Am I watching a comedy? Yes. Uh, it, it works against it terribly. And I can understand the choice. But what I can't understand is when that choice was shown to other people, that they didn't not stop laughing and they didn't say, no, that's the wrong sound. Or why aren't you using a cello? Or you were using a water phone 10 seconds ago. Like what? Why? Why harmonicas? It's not creepy. It's not creepy at all. It's clownish. Maybe clownish, like Fats himself. Sort of, yeah. But it doesn't work. It doesn't fucking yeah. work. Period. That's great. Yeah, you could have used it when use the harmonica when they're having a conversation with his with Peggy and Corky and Fats is there, and every time Fats has a funny quip to add to the conversation. Use a harmonica then. <laughs> well, yeah, I could, I could definitely, I could definitely see your. They use a harmonica in death scenes later. For fuck's sake, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, if you ever want a harmonica to make you not stop laughing, watch Magic. Well, there is uh, uh, something about this film where we're just sitting back and watching a, a, a dramatic story about uh, adultery and rekindling of old flames and. Two people just living a, a, a sort of humdrum pastoral existence. Credits, I suppose. Yep, that's the end of that. That is mm. the end of that. Oh, wait. There is more because, holy shit, Burgess Meredith is going to show the fuck up again. <laughs> yeah, not only is Gang Green on his way, which I just love as a nickname. Uh, Mr. Green's on his way, and the husband's due to be back any minute. Like, all through their lovemaking, their dinner, their little jaunts, their skipping stones in the river, all these little, like, date scenes, I kept being like, and the husband shows up, and the husband shows up, mm-hmm. and the husband shows up. So, between the husband about to show up, his fucking agent has found him. His agent has found him in a compromising situation. No, it is not over top of the body of a noble woman. No, but there was a little bit of an argument about his recently being over top of the body of a noble woman. A foxy redhead. A foxy- I prefer to think of her as a foxy redhead. Okay, foxy redhead. Noble usually means younger, I think. It's true. She's yeah. an older lady, but like still 
doing it. Oh, yeah. She's not quite MILF no. level here. No. Foxy, for sure. Foxy. We'll go Foxy Redhead. Yeah. Now, Anne-Margaret herself, just a, a vision, a stunning example of womanhood. Now, oh, no. He's going to be arguing about her to his dummy. And it's like a real conversation that you would have with a living, breathing human being. And who is standing there in the doorway in his fedora, in his beige suit, and his purple-tinted aviator sunglasses? Gangrene himself. This starts off a sequence that is my absolute favorite in this movie, non-horror-related thing. Because, again, it's Burgess Meredith doing what he does best acting it is and and you have you have Burgess Meredith and Anthony Hopkins two fantastic actors in a room together talking and I can't get over this scene enough I fucking love it and this is what occurs is Mr. Green realizes that's why you don't want the evaluation yeah you're fucking crazy you're crazy and I didn't notice it And I'm sorry I didn't notice it, but I see it now. And you need help because he's not, he's not willing to give up on this. He still thinks that Corky is talented and he can be a big star, but we need to get you talking to somebody and you need to go to therapy. And if you go to therapy, it's not a problem. That or, you know what? You think that there's nothing wrong with you? Fine then. You know what? I'll drop it. If you can sit here for five minutes and make fats shut up. This sequence is fucking awful. Uh, this sequence is fucking awesome. It is, it is like watching someone, like an addict, break apart in front of you. And it's, and it's happened so fast because we're talking about an occurrence of five minutes, but he can't go 30 seconds without asking for the time. And oh, it's like having someone who's deathly afraid of spiders have a tarantula crawl toward them on a table for five minutes, and they yeah. have to sit there for this five minutes. And if they can't take it, they can't take it, but they're going to try. And holy shit! What by the first time he asks how long it's been, you're convinced. You you know in your mind you're like it can't be more than thirty seconds, but it feels like ten minutes already. I want this to yeah. end for him, mm-hmm. and it's been thirty seconds because it's barely any con- it's barely any conversation. And, and I love the subtle way that Burgess Meredith is checking his time. He's got that cigar in his mouth, just like looks at his watch, like never fails to look at his watch. Like, and it's like this long tension scene when he looks at his wrist. He's like, how long has it been? How long has it been? Mm. It, it is so fucking enjoyable to watch. And of course, two, two and a half minutes into it, Corky can't do it. And he's like, and he's like, this is very cruel of you. You know, and, and and Burgess Meredith is like, I don't mean it to be, and fucking grabs Fats, has to like fucking like do does his whole like big release intro of like that's me Fats, I'm mm-hmm. the big fucking long vaudeville intro like he's a carnival barker almost. A spiel basically. Spiel, yeah. yeah. So Burgess Meredith goes and gets up. Anthony Hawkins fucking tries to wrench him back to to no no don't get. Like, you can't go. Where's Meredith? Is like, I I don't scare easy. Like, I've I've been in show business a long time, and walks away. And then he has this really panicked conversation with Fats, 
what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And Pat's just like, you got to stop him. He's like, with what? With me? With me? (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, okay. I thought that there's there's a myriad of ways that you can use a ventriloquist dummy to stop a person. I mean... Using him like a little club, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't actually foresee, but that's what he does. He clubs him to death, mm-hmm. or almost to death, with fats. And we already know he's heavy. If you've ever touched like ventriloquist dummy, they are like older ones anyway, solid wood. Mm-hmm. Even old marionettes are mm-hmm. heavy as hell, and they are solid wood, hardwood at that. Like, mm-hmm. and that's what this obviously is because he clunks him several times mm-hmm. over the head, breaks fats's head. Yeah, I kind of like, there's, um at the very end of the struggle, you hear some, like, wheezing, pained wheezing from the ground, and the camera pans over Burgess Meredith's body, which is, like, not breathing at all, yeah. and to Fats, who, <laughs> <He's> like, <"Ugh."> <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of comical. It's pretty good. Yeah. And now, this is a, a conversation in which Fats is trying to tell Corky how to get rid of the body. You're going to take all of his ID, you're going to fill his pocket with rocks, and you're going to dump him in the lake. And that's what you're going to do. And now we watch Corky very, again, a very mild-mannered, meek man. There, there's snapping turtles in the, in the it's dark, and and uh, I, I'm, I'm scared. <laughs> Fats is, I don't care if the Loch Ness Monster's in there. At least he's ravenous. Yeah. So he has this plan... Anthony Hopkins' character is not a very strong swimmer, so it's kind of sad to see him swimming out there. We've already seen what he's gone through. Now he's killed his agent, who he actually had a really good uncle-nephew kind of relationship with, mm-hmm. it seemed. And he's got to swim out there into the snapping turtle-infested waters of the lake and drown him. Mm-hmm. He's not quite dead. No, and there's a struggle between these two men. And like you're just like, yeah, Bruce Meredith is fucking tough. He has been in show business a long time. I wonder if this is not even the first time that someone has been trying to drag his body someplace. He's like, not again. Yeah, I know, right? Because he had that where he just sort of, his eyes open up, he's in the water, he just immediately reaches back and uh, fucking like tries to fight for his life. Now these two men struggle and it smash cuts today again. And we don't know what happened because both men sink below the surface of the water and it's calm. And then all of a sudden we have Peggy doing what Peggy does which is the weirdest habit. I suppose it makes a little bit of sense in the context of this scene, but she does it other times where it makes no fucking sense. She is hollering at him to come out of his guest cabin from like 30 feet away from the door. Instead of going to the door and knocking like a normal human being. And you seem triply aggravated by this. I can't stand, I can't stand people shouting at me. You know what it is? My parents used to do that. My parents constantly used to shout at me from the other end of the house, fucking all the time. And they used to shout at each other from the other end of the house. And it was always followed up with, I'm yelling this. And then my dad yells something. I can hear them both. What? 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 Yeah. Constantly. I hated that too. You know, my favorite was when somebody's yelling for my attention. I'll walk to where they are and then answer eventually. Yeah. I won't answer while I'm far away. I, I Unless can't. you're yelling because you're injured and need 911 and you're yelling, call 911 or help. Ow. I mean, other than that, there's no reason to yell at it people. It is such a fucking pet peeve of mine. People do that to me at work where they're screaming at me from the, uh, like, from the, I can hear them. Believe me, I can hear them. 
but I always pretend like I can't hear them because I'm just like, nope, nope, I am not rewarding that behavior. No, exactly. It's like, you can come, you can come to me. I will lie and say I didn't hear you or I'll, uh, my headphones are in my ears and they're usually off. I'm lucky that in the workplace and home life, absolutely no one does that. So mm-hmm. I probably escaped it entirely for the rest of my life. Yeah, here's hoping. Mm-hmm. This So this like triggers me. Like I just don't like it. Oh, totally. And I get it. And it's funny to me that she's also yelling, come and get coffee at the house. My husband's back and we better act normal. I want to act normal. While he's looking at them through the window. Yeah. And then he – this this kind of concocts this idea that they have slept together. Her husband doesn't like the fact that this dude is around. He knows that they knew each other from childhood, he was part of the he he was in high school with them too. Yeah, I don't know how well he knows this guy. Probably not really at all. Mm-hmm. But he was the dashing Johnny Unitas, James Dean looking motherfucker that got the foxy redhead. Who are Corky was named Corky and also just some sort of wiener kid. A, a wiener kid that tried to whittle a wooden heart for her. Yeah, and and you know he liked magic, so like enough said. But then again, she's like enamored with it. That all being said, they have a pretty tense dinner scene or breakfast scene, I suppose. But just like everybody else, Duke falls to pieces when he pulls out fats. Yeah, everyone loves this fucking ventriloquist dummy. And like, we haven't encountered anyone that says the dummy looks creepy. Not one person has said the dummy looks creepy. The no. dummy looks fucking creepy. She looks creepy. So Peggy, the fucking first time she saw it, was hands up to her face like a little girl. Yeah. Yeah, and even this dude, Duke, that de- does not like this guy, yeah, and loves magic, loves ventriloquism. Fucking Fats just starts making dick jokes, and he's just like, "That's clever," <laughs> just into it. And then all of a sudden, they're all just pals. Yeah, they're all just pals. Well, sort of all just pals. Sort of all just pals. Although there is something pretty suspicious that ends up happening. It turns out that there's an eighty thousand dollar Rolls Royce. Covered in leaves, just sitting in their fucking driveway. What it's funny is because he almost had it out. Because Duke says, hey, Corky, you drive a Rolls? And if he would have thought for four seconds extra, he probably would have been able to just be, yeah, I know. (laughs) But now he says, no, I don't own a Rolls. And he acts like, oh, my God, it's my agents. Has he forgotten that he killed his agent? I think that it is probably his attempt to say that his agent isn't dead. As long as these people don't think that his agent is dead, no one knows where his agent went, presumably, uh, unless his agent had the presence of mind to tell his secretary or one of his colleagues, hey, I'm going to go fucking track down Corky. He's he's apparently in this fucking farmhouse. I just had to bribe a cabbie to tell me exactly where he is. If he didn't do that, then all people know is that Green went somewhere one day and he never came back. And all he has to do is ditch the car. Now, he already wants to leave. So, like, Corky even wants to leave where he is now, but he wants to take Peggy with him. Uh, it's, 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 it's not really the greatest plan. And he, and what he does is he does, like, a fucking... He, he tries to pull a Bob Newhart where he has a one-sided conversation with nobody on the fucking phone. We're talking about, like, old comedy routines. Like, that's what he's doing. Yeah, that's and he, exactly what he's doing. He has a fake fucking conversation... Where he tries to say that what happened was, was Ben Green went to the house. They weren't at the house. He got his rolls caught in the mud. He didn't ask for help because only a rolls man touches a rolls, which is something that we've heard 
Yeah, it's a line he's dropped a couple times, Green, when he was alive. When he was alive, yeah. And so I guess that's that's it. And Peggy seems to take that story at face value. Duke does not. And Duke's been drinking. And this is where he's having a fucking screaming match with Peggy, asking if she's slept with him. Now, if she has. And he's, like, fucking throwing her on the bed and, and, and just being really violent with her. And she just says, no, she hasn't, but I wanted to. And that seems to be um, good enough to throw him off the trail in that if he's feeling something between them, what he's feeling is the tension that did exist but hasn't been acted upon. As long as it hasn't been acted upon, then he starts to feel self-conscious about his relationship with his lady. Not very good lie has a little bit of truth in it, Exactly. So that's what she's doing. And she does it well, and I guess she's used to being thrown around by him because she walks past him in a huff like it didn't even happen. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, like I said, like this is reflective of every she, day with these two. Yeah, and so this is just the type of uh, men that she has to fucking deal with, unfortunately, and and, and unfortunately, it has become normal to her. So I guess Corky's outrageous outburst previously doesn't seem so strange. No, and at this point, like I'm like, would you want to go anywhere with this? fucking screaming person and then someone could play that devil's advocate and be like oh well it's better than being with duke i suppose because he might beat her we don't know this but he's acting like he does and it's like no 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 she should kick them both the fuck out of yeah, her yeah she needs neither one of these yeah. fucking dudes they're horrible men both of them corky a little less because he's mentally ill mm. but if only he'd admit that if only he'd admit that to yeah. everyone around him and not try to uh, kill his agent. And then Battery's not mentally ill and the uh, puppet is a demonic entity. Now, <laughs> that's an even better explanation. That would like make you completely off the hook. Well, now, he got crazy awfully fast. He did get cr- crazy awfully fast, but you could argue that he's always been this way, but it's never resulted to murder. But now, this is the problem with murder lids. It's like potato chips. You have one. Or for you, maybe alligator jerky. Yeah. yeah. You have one. We had some alligator jerky. We did have some alligator jerky. So if anyone's curious, like Thomas had asked us on Twitter what we eat during while watching a movie. Today, we ate alligator jerky and deep fried peanuts. That's what we were eating. Me and Chris went to a lovely place called Jim Thorpe up in Pennsylvania Mountain, little mountain town. Um, way cooler than South Park. But ended up with some alligator jerky, and I had saved some for Wes. Well, thank you. It was an interesting experience. And now in the category of animals that I have and have not eaten, alligator gets bumped over to the blue column and uh, a lot of other animals in the in the red. I had had alligator before in uh, two other forms, three other forms, but I was very interested in the rattlesnake jerky. But another time. I have an entire life ahead of me where I can go and get some rattlesnake. There's, Apparently there's rattlesnake in a can. You can get rattles, canned rattlesnake. There's no limit to the type of jerky that you can eat from oh, now true. until when you die. It's true. It's true. But yeah, no, it's more like the deep fried peanuts once you once you have one. Yeah, because guess what? Burgess Meredith's body did not stay sunk and they found him and they thought for a second, Duke thought for a second that he might still be alive. And which is um like it could very well be he crawled his way up there. Mm-hmm. I mean and that's kind of out. a shame to like 
deal with being beaten, deal with being drowned, and then fighting fucking turtles, snapping turtles all night long, I guess, and drag yourself up on the shore and then die. But this is like a fishing scene that I really hate because Duke has just tossed around his wife and screamed and yelled at her and accused her of things that are true, but he doesn't know that. And then comes to Corky, who's already afraid of him and hiding around the edge of the fucking house just to (laughs) deal with this guy. And he's like, well, come fishing with me. And even West right away was just like, this is absolutely not what I would do. Yeah. Are you kidding me? As a, you've been, you've uh, had sex with uh, someone's wife and then the husband comes to you like, let's go out into the boat, Wes. No. Like, yeah, (laughs) right. So you can smash me in the fucking head with an oar? And drown me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, not happening. Um, But, and even, he even dials it up a notch by saying, I just had some words with my wife and now I want to have some words with you. And it's like, no, 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 no. When people have something to say, you say it. You don't Mm -hmm. need a fucking setting. You don't need to have this manly chat. You don't need to take someone out for a beer or whatever it is you think you do. Whatever movie script you've got fucking written in your head. No, 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 no. You have something to say to somebody, you say it. It doesn't matter about time or place or what mood you're in. You know, it really doesn't matter. What mood they're in doesn't fucking matter. If you've got something on your mind, you just say it what adults do mm-hmm. you don't have to take them out in the boat like i don't understand what manly fucking thing he's got in his head that makes this seem okay corky i guess decides that that's fine yes we're gonna go out in the boat we're gonna go see motherfucker we're gonna go out into the boat and he's gonna try to entrap corky with one of like what the cops do you know when they go into the room and says yeah your partner, your partner is fucking singing like a bird down there. Said it was all your idea. And yeah, then they sing like a bird. Yeah, and and all these. So you're trying to do, and then um, this Anthony Hopkins really starts. Uh, there's moments in which Anthony Hopkins, as an actor, is delivering lines like I've heard him deliver lines before, and then you really are taken back. It's like, oh my god, I still can't believe how young he is, but he really is this actor, right? So it's like a lot of these conversations between two men about like adultery and shit like that is really reminding me of him in the movie, the edge, which is a film that I fucking loved as a kid. Uh, you know, fucking Anthony Hopkins kills the grizzly bear. So <laughs> it's really, really cool, but it goes nowhere. And you think that he's going to uh, bring up Burgess Meredith's body, but he brings up a stick and, but then, then that's where they do. Then this. they find the body. Then they which actually is a do great way f- to end that conversation. Yeah, yeah, because now it's just like we got to find the body, and and even Duke says, well, "This is your roles guy, maybe." And he's like, "What? Ben Green? No, oh, he's over six feet tall." Like he's he's all, now he's lying about who this body is, and it gets to the point in which why? What is the fucking point? But Duke's on to something because he decides that what he is going to do is we found a body. It's been stripped of all of its ID. We, there's a Rolls Royce here that Quirky seems to be saying that belonged to his manager, but his manager's missing. He had a phone conversation with his manager. I don't buy the story. It's full of holes. It doesn't make any fucking sense. All of a sudden, we find a body is not his manager's body. It would be easier to, it would be an easier lie to say, that's my manager's car. I called the, the place, his office. He's gone. And then you could easily say, he, we don't know what happened. He came here. He went to the water's edge or something like that. He's old and he fell into the water and he drowned. Like, you just say that. You could reach in the water to wash your hands and have a snapping turtle that's big enough grab you and pull you in or a muscle end. Like, yeah, 
He could have lied his way out of it, but he's not thinking. He's not thinking at all. Because you know what? I think that he needs fats to think. He definitely needs fats to think. And that is an interesting concept that will be explored very uh, a little bit later in this picture. But Duke's going to get fucking killed. And this is where you almost feel. This is where your moment almost as if is the doll moving by itself. Yeah. You kind of get its eyes do move. But then you're like, oh, well, there's a there's a curtain behind him. Yeah, so he so. could be staying behind the curtain. And the harmonica doesn't help because, of course, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Clutching my gut, laughing, and can't stop because this harmonica is just ruining everything. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, it's that Fats has a knife. Yeah. Switchblade knife. Yeah, a switchblade knife and stabs Duke multiple times. Yeah, slashes and cuts his, his throat. throat. Yeah. yeah. And it almost looks accidental in a way because, mm-hmm. like, the knife is jabbing, but not very far. And, like, maybe this doll is moving all by itself and then it falls off. Like, it falls over with the chair that it's sitting on, and you think, okay, now move, doll. Now move, doll. Mm-hmm. Now the doll's going to move, right? It's like, no, it's not Chucky, Lydia. No, but, no, no. Like a murderous Mr. Wizard, Anthony Hopkins is going to step out from behind that curtain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... And and that is uh, that is basically what is has gone down. Now, this murder is way different than the first one, because it's daytime, like not Peggy knows this fucking dude. This is her husband. Yeah. And now I've killed two people. I didn't even really want to kill one person. I felt like I could get away with it, but now I can't. What the fuck am I going to do? And Fats is saying, "Oh, I know what you're going to do. You're yeah. going to take a big tarp. You're going to wrap up both those bodies. You're going to get a big rock, and it'll be like two birds with one stone because you can't <laughs> stop cracking jokes. And at the same time, where he's cracking jokes and he's got the plan, poor Corky is." nearly puking because he can't handle the stress of all this and the Mm -hmm. gore he just no even fats is like well clean the blood off my face and you'll stop throwing up (laughs) you know like it's all very cut and dry to him Mm -hmm. but corky can't handle Mm -hmm. this fucking death and destruction yeah you know speaking of of of, uh fats he's gone through some damage over the day like not only we talk about his head got broken and then now he's covered in blood and a duke did find the bloodied wig and then all the identification. I love that when Fats' head is bandaged, he looks exactly like Bobby's head from my childhood, whose head was bandaged under a knit cap. Same thing, really. Same fucking thing. Same fucking thing. Although the bandages, Bobby's bandages were brown. They were almost like what a tent, like tensor bandages, more than anything okay, else. Okay. But but he it was did like weathered have, like a mummy. They, yeah. They dug yeah. out of a grave. But maybe Bobby killed some people. I always think that Bobby kills some people. And when we found him in my great aunt's closet smashed, I was like, that's what happened. She fucking, her, in her death throes, killed Bobby, smashed him. Mm-hmm. But not before he took her life. Like, the strain of it, like, took him, like, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so, that, I feel like that's what happened. But anyways, what the fuck is he going to do? He's fucked. He's turbo fucked. But Peggy has also decided that she's going to go go ahead and... Leave her husband. Leave her husband for yeah. him. But she needs to do she needs to leave the man with his pride. Do the honorable thing. She's gonna have a face to face with him. Which again to me just speaks of her needling him and wanting to have one more argument. Is that what you want? You want one more you want one more chance for him to hit you? Is that what you want? Is yeah, it's that like, the point of you, this? You want this alcoholic giant dude that has guns and shit like that, and you want to stand there with 
Corky, your new fucking boyfriend who you did have sex with, and now you're going to leave. You're just leaving. Is there some sort of satisfaction in that kind of drama and threat? I, I have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Now, this is for, uh, it sets up a really interesting scenario because it is like you're waiting for someone who's never going to show up. No, and you had said, how would you feel if you one of, you're one of the two people that knew this guy wasn't showing up because you killed him? How would that feel? And I'm just like... I don't know. Yeah. How <laughs> long know. do you how long do you wait before you just say like, well, I guess this person's not coming back? Again, with their every lie, good lie anyway, needing a bit of truth to it to work. I guess he just has to lie to himself to the point that he believes that he didn't have anything to do with Duke not showing up, so he could naturally just eventually arrive at a point in time. That it seems right for him to say, let's just go. He's not coming back. Mm-hmm. Without being accused of murdering him, I guess. I don't know. But it does. It's getting late. And Peggy's like, well, you can't hunt in the dark. Well, you can hunt in the dark. I mean, you could snare. Maybe he's out there snaring. Maybe he's snaring. He did bring a flashlight. Maybe he is. Yes, he's night lighting deer or something. No, yeah. Um, he's trying to convince her to leave. And she's steadfast in waiting for her abusive husband to show up to yell at her a little more, I guess. This brings uh, tension between Corky and Peggy in in a way in which it is almost the same type of more on the level, not him screaming at her, but tension in which she is actually getting angry at him for even suggesting that we're leaving. I've made up my fucking mind. And he is saying, you won't even consider what I think. And she's like, you've made your point abundantly clear. I am aware of your stance. You can stop fucking saying it because this is what I'm doing. And then you start thinking, like, this is just not going to go anywhere. And so he pulls out his trump card, which is the fucking doll again. And she goes from pissed off at him to just her face softens and she lights up. I don't know where this fucking puppet came from because he wasn't holding him earlier. Then all no. of a sudden, it's like, wow, yeah, over his no. shoulder. And now it's one hundred. She's one hundred percent enchanted. Enchanted until he talks. Uh, until uh, fucking Fats dimes him out, explains the psychic link trick, how it's done, basically, and, and tops off not only telling the magician's trick. Tops it off with like, yeah, this is a parlor trick he used to pull out whenever he'd want to bang a stewardess. Yeah. This is how he gets laid. This is his getting laid trick. Like, I guess, which is, I'm assuming, all magicians got to have. Guess? They, I don't know, but still. Yeah. They're just like, women love misdirection, Oh, I guess. women love being screamed at and told what to do and ordered around and terrified? That's more I, like it. I fucking have no idea. Now- Fats has had a very interesting conversation with Corky before this final showdown happens. And this is where he says that he's running away with Peggy and you're not coming. You're, he put, he locks him up in the closet and in his little trunk, his little ventriloquist dummy trunk. And Fats is begging, pleading, and then even threatens, I'll tell. I'll tell what you've done, that you've killed two people. Yeah, we'll be on stage in the middle of an act, and all of a sudden I'll be like, there's bodies at the bottom of the lake. (laughs) Which I could picture. I could picture. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, honestly, if you did that, I'm sure the audience would just laugh. Unfortunately. Although, fats can be very convincing. He can be very convincing. Peggy loses her mind when when she finds out it's this getting laid trick. 
and then walks off into the woods. This scene that comes up next is fucking fascinating. I love it. This is my second favorite sequence because this is where Fats is saying that he has taken over. He was laying low this entire time. He was allowing Corky the illusion that he was in control, but he not he wasn't and he never was. And now Corky is the dummy. And as Fats is berating him, screaming and yelling at him, he's getting Corky to perform, crawl around like an animal, to smile, to touch the ceiling, to do everything. And also... Almost like a hypnotist would to somebody who's apparently hypnotized. Yeah, this scene is, is great. Anthony Hopkins is fucking working his ass off in this scene. And then also very fascinating, it can induce a migraine in, in Corky's head. The headaches that he always got... This is one to end it all. This fucking headache is so bad. It is blinding, screeching pain. If you've ever had a migraine and a really bad one, they're debilitating. And he's like pressing his head against a mirror, gritting his fucking teeth. And then all of a sudden, he takes it away. A suggestion of pain inducing true pain. And then the same suggestion saying is going away. This is how he can control you. How would you like it a hundred times worse and 100 days long? The sequence is fucking mesmerizing to me. And it really reminds me. I did. I, I conversed a little bit with my friend who is uh, knows more about this stuff than I ever possibly could, even though I know a fair bit. It very much reminds me of a character that has existed in comic books as part of Batman's rogues gallery. And I'm sure anyone who is a comic book fan and who would watch magic could see the similarities to a character called the ventriloquist. Now, I wanted to know when the ventriloquist character was made, uh, when the character debuted in comics. It was also in the animated series, and there's been a lot of like extra stuff about the character. And it's been through three iterations, to my knowledge. But, but it originated, what, you say 10 years? 10 years after, almost 10 years exactly. Mm -hmm. 1988 was the first introduction to the ventriloquist character. It was created by a dude named Alan Grant. Now, Alan Grant created this character, uh, Wesker was the, the character's name, and he is a meek, bespectacled man, bald, with like little tufts of gray hair, a little bow tie, and he holds in his hand a, a wood dummy called Scarface, who is like a mob boss, like Scarface. He's got a little Tommy gun. That's and, a, I, I, I giggled when Wes said he had a little Tommy gun. He's got, I enjoyed that. Yeah, a little Tommy gun that shoots bullets. Like, but it shoots. To hear it described it does sound very, very similar character mm -hmm. in that the you can't imagine the moxie and the confidence and the loud and mm -hmm. the fucking decision making and the ordering people around coming mm -hmm. out of this little dummy when it's the person who has its hand up its ass yeah and and there's even moments in, both in the animated series and in books in which like when you're first introducing these this character you have the 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 thugs the goons this this uh ventriloquist dummies entourage looking to the ventriloquist and he's like, don't look at him. You look at me. Mm -hmm. He's not in charge of this. Even though, obviously, he's in charge of this. He has to be because he's controlling Scarface. But the psychology of that character is Scarface is in control. And without that puppet, if that if anything happens to that puppet, and in the comics, things do happen to that puppet and it gets destroyed, Wesker cannot 
function. He cannot make a decision. He is too terrified to move or do anything. But when he has that puppet, he is a ruthless crime boss that people are terrified of. So, like, I was wondering, is it possible that Alan Grant was influenced by this movie? Now, I had also, we, we talked about earlier, um, very famously, if you are familiar with Batman comics, the character of the Joker was inspired by Conrad Veidt. Uh, the, 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 uh, the silent actor, a brilliant silent actor from, from The Man Who Laughs, that rictus grin. That if you look at the, if you look at the, the, the. It's more like a Chelsea grin. Yeah. It's very painful looking. Yeah. If you look at the photos of, of Conrad Veet and that makeup, you would wonder how they even got away with it. They literally just stole the entire idea of like this image and like, oh, what if he's like a crazy clown man? Well, they also stole Mr. Garrison and his puppet. Yeah, true. But I'm talking about like when (laughs) the character was created all those years ago. Now, when uh, and and so I'm not saying that that's bad. I was like, we're all influenced by something else. But I'm just very curious because that's all I can think about. It's almost this film almost could be an origin story for this comic book character even though it's like wholly unique to itself. But it just, uh, I just wanted to mention that because like, that's what I'm thinking about when I'm watching this fucking scene. Mm-hmm. Now, Fats says, you're going to touch the ceiling. You're going to spin around. You're going to bark. You're going to fucking, you know, do all this fight. You're going to grab a knife. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's trying to trick him into it. Yeah. Grab he's the like, knife. It's in my bag. Yeah. You're yeah. going to go and you're going to kill Peggy because that is, that's what you have to do. It's like, look, you killed your agent. Um, Duke's dead. She doesn't like you. And she never was going to like you because it's me she likes, not you. And because that's who everyone likes. So you're just going to have to kill her. And he almost does. He almost does because we hear him talking to her through a bedroom door, leaves a little wooden heart even. And you're like, this is just all a ruse. You know it because there's a harmonica playing in the background. He's hiding in the shadows with a knife. Like Menacing us, that harmonica that music. That harmonica music. You know, okay, maybe maybe I got to double back on that and say how it's maybe more effective than a water phone or cellos ever could be. No, it's, it's fucking, it ruins it. It ruins it so terribly. But it lets us know, I guess, in the language of this film, that he's serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when she opens that door and that crappy whittled heart, which was his keepsake, he was going to, this was, this was going to be his move when they were teenagers. And we see that Corky lies to her while he's telling her that story. Well, I was making it and I lost it. I, I never gave it to you. Meanwhile, what we see is her and a young Duke walking out of school together hand in hand. Him in the shadows of a tree holding his dorky little wood. How can I compete with James Dean number two over here? And he just drops it on the ground. It's garbage. Mm-hmm. But in that moment where she picks it up, it's not Fats's voice. It is not his his ventriloquist crap that works. She likes that whittled heart. Adorable. Adorable, but he realizes he's in too deep. I was pretty stoked for a little more body count here, personally. It would be, uh, I'm telling you, I'm of two minds. I think that it would be a fantastic film if he did end up killing her and then himself. But I think this works. That he walks away and is so pleased by her enjoying this wooden heart. And I do like that 
he reconciles with fats because they get to have a conversation that isn't screaming at one another. Mm -hmm. And they have a conversation as if we, the audience, can even believe that they're two separate entities having a conversation Mm -hmm. about Corky's Mm well-being, basically. Because eventually they're talking about how, of course she liked the heart. Of course she liked you. You and me has always been you, Corky. Mm-hmm. Which is a, f- weird in a way, kind of a ripoff in a way, that they had the conversation seconds before that it's me she likes. She's always like me. And then seconds later, he's like, no, it's truthfully you that she likes because everyone likes you, Corky. But so the mindfuck of all this works because there's a potential aborted death in between it all. And it wouldn't hurt. True. Now... Corky has has basically decided to end himself. He stabbed himself in the stomach. And Fats knows this because Fats feels there's something wrong with my stomach. That I, my stomach hurts. It was funny because Fats is even like, I don't know how to explain it because I don't even have a stomach. But, but my, stomach, my hurts. stomach hurts. And so you see these two sitting across from each other and they have this very quiet conversation. And, and I think it's as death is washing over Corky. I think that that is why... This sort of bravado that Fats constantly had over him, this showman, he's constantly on. It's, it's like a showbiz type through and through, mm-hmm. really. The, and and in a lot of ways, that personality that Corky probably always wished that he had, he felt comfortable manifesting it only through Fats. This character can be everything that I can't be. Because I created him to be this thing. And mm-hmm. I was never created to be this thing. But once, like a lot of showman people, like a lot of people who are very bombastic and big, in quiet moments, their most intimate moments, and all that stripped away, there would be a personality that's revealed that is almost unrecognizable from the one that they project to most people. And I think that that's how come I buy this conversation, even though Fats was like lying before because because he was trying to control Corky but now that that's impossible now because they're dying and if Corky dies then so does Fats he may as well just be honest with what is it indeed himself was that it was always him because subconsciously he Corky would have to know that because he carved Fats himself. He voiced Fats himself. It's always, he knows that this is a dummy. It's all head shrinking mumbo jumbo, Wes. Uh, he is a demonic entity. He's definitely possessed. I I wish and hope and dream that he's just possessed. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get what you mean. You're, you're definitely right. You're definitely right. It's sad in a way that the only thing that Fats has to say at the end of it all is, I don't want to die alone, which. As we know, it's all just quirky. So it's all just quirky, and he, yeah, he's like, I, 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 he wants, to, he doesn't want to die first, too, or or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's a really quiet scene. And then <laughs> here comes Peggy to ruin it all because she's just shouting from thirty feet from that fucking cabin, and then she just throws the heart up in the air like I'm gonna make it after all. I don't know what that's from or why it's you a say that. it's a fucking opening to a sitcom from the seventies. Oh, okay, about okay, it. Um, yeah. So she's pretty stoked on life. Has no idea that everyone around her is dead, but I'm sure she'll find out when they dredge the lake looking for her husband's body. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of that's exercise. She's like, okay, I've changed my mind. I'm totally in love with you. Let's go. 
And then all of a sudden, no, Corky's dead. Well, I guess it is a great story of freedom for her because oh, yeah. she's going to walk in, find his dead body, have a little breakdown, go try to find her husband, can't find him, call the police to deal with the one body. And they're going to discover all the other bodies. And then she'll have the house her parents gave her and everything will be fine. Yeah, really, really. She's free. She's free. Ooh. So that's what they should have called it. Peggy's freedom. Peggy, uh, Peggy's freedom mm-hmm. and uh, the wooden heart. You could have just called it the wooden heart. Yeah, really. Be right up there with like the yellow wallpaper. <laughs> I enjoyed it. It was a sleepy film. It was a sleepy film, but I really, really enjoyed the harmonica. <laughs> what do we got next for him? Next, we are doing a smash cut to another different film, uh, The Visit. Ooh. M. Night Shyamalan's return in so many ways. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice when he left because I yeah, didn't yeah. pay attention. But uh, he's he had a lot of films that just weren't interesting to me to mm-hmm. the point that me, alongside a lot of other people, just weren't that worried about what his next films were. So when The Visit came out, I was intrigued by the very plain poster. Then I was intrigued by the very plain story. Mm -hmm. Then I was doubly intrigued by so many other people being as intrigued as I was. Mm -hmm. So even before the accolades were pouring out of others who had seen the film, I was interested to watch The Visit. And then hearing that it was very, very, very good. So it has hit Shudder, and I've watched it and loved it to the point that I immediately wanted to do this for the show. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, if anyone has watched Don't Look in the Basement or Don't Look in the Basement 2, which I think they are really good counterparts, I really enjoy that sort of story, the um, ninth configuration, Don't Look in the Basement sort of stories. And this is sort of edging on that. So I really do – I hope that's not too spoilery. But we're going to spoil the fuck out of it because we're going to – We're going to spoil the, the fuck yeah. out of it because even though this is, this is a, a director who is known for his twists – I think that you can enjoy everything that comes before a twist. No, and we're not twist hunters either. No. If you're a twist hunter, go get out here. You've probably already seen the visit, and within the credits, we're trying to announce to the room that you'd figured it out or whatever. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. Yeah. No, <laughs> we're not twist hunters. So this, uh, his films are enjoyable when they're good. Yeah, and I'm glad exactly. to say that this one's very, very good, and I enjoyed it very, very much. Great. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to hitting that next week with you. Mm-hmm. But until then, fuck all that. We're done. Yeah. I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Idea. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>